Hello, friends. I'm finally on vacation. I haven't taken any time off work since the beginning of June, not counting the weekends. The weekends don't give you enough time to relax because there's always something to attend to in your personal life or something to work on at your house, yard work and such, or cleaning. And then the next thing you know, it's Sunday night and you're stressing about the work week ahead. I've spent the last four months training instructors on technology, training instructors on how to use Zoom, hiring and training new techs, installing new equipment, dealing with understaffing because of different quarantines, including my own, new full-time hires that make more excuses than work or even show up to work. I could go on and on. I took five days off and I'm gonna try and chill out for most of it. I do have a wedding to attend to in Kansas, but my brain needs some time off. Now, if you're talking to the speaker saying, try living my stressful life, Justin, my response is, no, no, I don't want to. And you should take time off as well. It may not be five days of paid vacation like I have, but carve out some time for you. Now, today's guest is J.R. Larson, a Wyomingite that has truly seen the world, but still calls Wyoming his home. I know from personal experience, you need to go out and see and live in other places just to realize how Wyoming is more your style than you think. Now, I know a lot of you don't live in Wyoming and they listen to this podcast, but it's a great place. Uh, it may be rural. There's not a lot of people that live here, but it's a good place to live, especially where I live. The University of Wyoming is located in Laramie, Wyoming. It's a different kind of town than the rest of the state, but I do love Wyoming. Now, I don't want to give away any more of his story, so here it is. Born in Casper and uh, grew up in, in Douglas, graduated from Douglas a million years ago. Did your parents meet in Casper or was that just a local closest hospital? Uh, no, I, I think they were, they worked in Casper and I think they met in Casper, but neither one of them are from Casper. My mom's from Nebraska, the Sand Hills somewhere. And then, uh, my dad actually grew up, uh, all through high school up to, uh, his senior year in Minnesota and North Dakota. And then, uh, moved to Casper his senior year and graduated from NC. Uh, like How'd your mom something. get to Casper? I don't know. I don't know that story uh, <laughs> fully. They, I know she grew up and graduated from like Oshkosh or Alliance or somewhere uh -huh. over there. And we still have relatives over there. But um, yeah, I don't know what the draw to Casper was. I think she was a dispatcher and he was... Uh -huh. uh, uh, just a cop. He had, he had been a sheriff in Midwest and stuff. And then I think at the time that they met, uh, he was just like a standard patrol police officer there in Casper. Oh, wow. Um, were you the only one? No, I've got, uh, yeah, three, three, uh, half brothers. Well, I've got a half brother and two half sisters and a uh, brother and sister from my mom. And then, uh, and they both, well, my sister's back up in Casper and my brother lives here in town. And then uh, I have sister from my dad and she lives over in, they just moved to Sturgis, but they were in Belfouche for 
long, long time. I don't get to see them as much as I used to, which is a bummer because they're super cool. Her husband is uh, um, like a metalsmith and uh, industrial art type of dude. Can He's made giant statues and stuff that are on like mm-hmm. uh, walk of art or whatever art walk over in like Sioux Falls. And he's showcased in a lot of different places. He's a, a big fan of uh, big and rich. And somehow he got connected with them and he made them a giant uh, metal guitar. It, it's pretty proportionate. I say giant, but it, as far as guitars go, I think it would just be on the upper end of what a guitar would be for size, but it's all metal. So it's like a hundred pounds. Oh, dang. Of, of stuff hanging off he takes challenge coins from the military and like police badges and stuff because big and richer and uh all that stuff you honoring veterans and whatnot so we made them something so blended family yeah um, and i didn't know any different so uh i knew my one sister was a half sister because she didn't live with us she lived over in, in bell with her mom but then my brother and sister, like they just grew up and I don't even ever remember them. I'm sure they did, but I don't remember them being gone every other weekend and their dad lived here in Douglas. So maybe it was pretty easy or maybe they didn't see him. I don't know. I just like until I was 12 or 13 and they're way older than me. So one of my first memories of my brother is like him dropping me off at school when he was a senior in high school. And it was like, I was in kindergarten. He was in, 12th grade or something like there's 10 years in between us so I guess it was maybe like second grade that I remember but yeah they were way older so I basically grew up as an only child and my parents were kind of over kid things so as a kid they would just take me with them everywhere so I I grew up like going to adult functions and like just tagging along and stuff like that so uh, you could call it a blended family, but I also kind of feel like I grew up as an only child too, because they were out of the house while I was still, you know, real young. So I, I kind of got spoiled and stuff like that. I, I definitely understand. Uh, my older sister is six years older than me. Younger sister is a half sister, 11 years younger yeah, than me. I'm the only boy. I have a stepsister. I kind of had, there are times where I felt like I had my own childhood, my own life, because I was the only boy. It was a lot easier or different. And then, um, but the age difference was huge. I was just like another parent to my younger sibling. Yeah. And so I did, you know, she probably has memories of me dropping her off at school I mean, and such. So I totally understand. And, and uh, my parents divorced when I was like six. And I don't know, my parents remarried other people and they've been with those people longer than they were together. So I've known my step-parents with my parents longer than they were together. I don't know how my parents ever got together. It's a mystery to me. They seem like very, very different people. Um, they met in college. So I was like, it was drugs. It was the 70s or 60s. <laughs> you know, I was like, things were crazy. But I was like, so... But luckily they found other people that it make them happy. Not everyone gets lucky enough to have good step parents and such. And so I did. And it felt like I had my own child. And and so in in your parents were taking adult functions, so what kind of other things were you into growing up there in Douglas, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I so we lived out in the country and, and growing up I you know, I was Douglas pretty country to start with, but grew up showing horses and, you know, we lived out of town. So we had your standard 
dogs and cats and horses and i think you know a rabbit stuff every once in a while like yeah, yeah i'll have a pet rabbit and then it died and then a pet turtle and that died and i don't know your standard just hit kid type of stuff and then uh i don't know i i was into showing horses as a, as a younger kid and then as i got older i uh had to put a horse down and and that really sucked. I was like, well, I'm pretty attached to him and I don't want to get another one. And then about that time I started getting into cars and girls and trouble and stuff. So, uh, yeah, a lot changes around 14, 15, 16. And so I got out of all of the, the country kids stuff and started, you know, I was always into sports, but I wasn't any good at sports. I got tired of like practice football all the time, practice baseball all the time and never get into play. So I was like, well, I'll just play baseball. It's kind of what I'm the best at, but I still wasn't good enough to play. So uh, I played baseball through high school and then uh, got out of high school. I don't know how, cause I didn't try. Like I don't ever remember doing homework or bringing stuff home or working on projects or trying, but I graduated, which I don't know, doesn't probably say much for, of the school system but hey here I am and uh and then uh I flunked out of college first first go around I didn't I was like they don't make me go to school I'm not gonna go so I understand that uh partied my way out of uh what is it northwest northwest college up in in Powell one semester is all it took and then uh parents like well you're gonna find a job and do something so I joined the military and so I was like yeah, let's, let's do the Navy thing. Let's, let's get this ball rolling. Well, I signed up in like February. So they kicked me out in December, said I couldn't even enroll under academic probation or anything. Oh, cool. like that. Well, I was like, what? You joined the Navy? And no, no, no. I didn't get kicked okay, out of gotcha. Navy. No, I got kicked out of college and they're like, yeah, don't come back. So then by February I'd signed papers to join the uh, service. And, but they're like, yeah, we're, we're full up. So, uh, you won't report to boot camp until November. So I had to find something to do from February until November. And I, I got on at a uranium drilling rig here in town and that was actually a really good gig. I probably uh, lucked out in joining the military before finding this job. Otherwise I'd probably just worked my way up and, and done you know, who knows what else been missing fingers or something from getting them smashed on a, on a workover rig or something like that. But I, I did that until I went into the Navy and then, you know, the Navy's a whole different story there. <laughs> so, uh, college, did, did you know you, you wanted to go or your parents like you're going, not everyone, if that's their first kind of choice in life or they're like, they're, they gotta be inspired to go or something, you know, yeah, like I said, I didn't try in high school at all. Huh. So I don't I had no business going to college. I was like, uh, what's the next thing to do? Uh, yeah. Oh, college. Let's do college. And I got there and it honestly blew my mind that, you know, nobody keeps tabs on you or makes sure you show up or whatever. So I was like, Wait, it's Tuesday. These guys said we can get some beers. That seems like a good idea. So yeah, I I I think I counted Honest to goodness, I think I went to three different classes in between Thanksgiving break and Christmas break. So not like three classes that I liked or I had a chance of passing. I went to class three times between, which I think that's only three weeks, but 
that's that's minimal effort right there so shame on me i just wasn't ready to adult you know and partied and had a lot of fun and didn't yeah i don't know i learned how to be a shithead <laughs> why well, don't i i no, I don't mean to dog on like high school or anything like that or any of the teachers, but they don't they don't set you up for college as much as they think they do. Maybe maybe the academic side, but not the freedom side, not the like balancing your checkbook side, not your like I sucked at college right off the bat. I had no idea. I knew it was what I needed to do, but I had no idea like taking notes. Oh yeah, by the way you don't, you, there's no one there to make you go to class. I didn't live at home or anything here in Laramie. I lived dorms, lived in, so it was like, hmm, it's cold and snowy out, I'm laying in bed or Yeah, I just so, didn't go. Yeah, oh, you're, you're st- you, you have a similar story, but you probably were like, yeah, I'm done. Quicker than a lot of people, like me, I just was like, oh, gotta pull it together. And I would pull it together in spring, screw up the fall, I'd take maybe a couple of summer classes here and there, but, like I was a terrible student. I mean, I, my st- my dad was always like, you should go get your master's. I was like, no, are you joking? <laughs> like, I'm not, I work at a university. I'm not putting that kind of stress on me ever again. Or that kind of feeling that I should probably study, which is just the worst feeling in the world. Like you could have your life together, but if you're a college student, you probably should study. Like that, that's kind of the overall feeling of being a college student. I think all the time, like, You'll be at a party. Maybe I should no drink. That's yeah. better. And you drink to to get rid of the feeling of I should probably study, like in your head all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so the Navy, like, wow. Uh, why the Navy? Why not any other branch? Well, I had looked at the Army previously. So in high school, I took the ASVAB, and the Army recruiter okay. comes around and stuff. And uh, you know, he he's doing his job trying to sign up whoever he can, people that need direction. And I obviously needed some direction, but uh, I decided to not do the military right off the bat. I was probably because I wasn't ready for that either. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to go have fun and I'm going to do the college thing. And then found out I obviously wasn't prepared to handle the responsibilities of, of college. So then I decided to man up and and I just like point blank. As soon as I came home, I was like, let's call the Navy recruiter. My dad was in the Navy. My grandpa was in the Navy. So uh, I don't know, you know, being from Wyoming, everybody's like, well, going to be a long ways from home, but I kind of wanted that, you know, I mean, not like there's any army stuff going on around here or anything. Marines, air force, I guess is in Cheyenne, but that's pretty small base as far as, you know, hoping to get stationed there just to be close to home. So I went with the Navy and uh, went down to the MEP station and took my ASFAB again. And then uh, they throw out like these different jobs that you can qualify for. And I didn't do enough work on the front end to know that there was, you know, more options or possibilities. They just gave me like four options. And one of them was a, a diesel mechanic and I liked working on cars. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's go with that one. The other ones don't sound cool. And then, so, and I signed up for six years right off the bat. So I really committed like long-term and uh, I was like, yeah, this, this is it. This is going to be, you know, what I do from now on and stuff. And I 
I had that big delayed entry program. So I just got a regular job and, you know, I got to kind of continue my party lifestyle and they didn't care if I showed up out at work or not. Like if I didn't show up, they didn't pay me. So I, I did some growing up before going in and then boot camp. you know, they, it's not just like you see in movies, but it's a lot like that, you know, not a whole lot of sleep and a lot of getting yelled at and you're folding your underwear wrong and can't make your bed right. And they, throw everything around and then about week five or six they kind of leave you alone and you start getting you know maybe six hours of sleep a night and after that in the, the navy especially from what i understand of the other branches like the navy as soon as you're done with boot camp all of that stuff stops like you stop getting yelled at people stop caring if you march properly or if your uniform's jacked up or not I, i've you know seen a lot of marine buddies and stuff and they could still march like eight ten years into military <laughs> if you watch parades and you see any kind of navy uh people in a parade they'll all be out of step none of them can march probably half of them are drunk uh from the night before we did a, a parade in savannah georgia for saint patrick's day in like 1998-99 or something and thank god i wasn't in it but uh yeah, I mean, everybody was either hammered from the night before or ha hammered from that day, and nobody was in step, and it was on TV. I think it was just local TV, but if you if you see the Navy people in uh, in a parade, watch. I mean, if it's the Navy band, sure, that's what they're getting paid to do, so they're going to be pretty on point, but anybody else, nah, they're probably just walking and waving, having a good time. That's funny. That's good. Well, yeah, well, they, I mean, most all basic training is, is creating a certain type of person, a military person, and it takes direction and it's meant for an 18 year old mind. And, and, um, that's good at, at least in your branch after what they treat you like a human. At, I mean, afterwards, yes, there's still orders, there's still rank and everything, but yet, there's not as much. All right, we got to do this for show. Yeah. Uh, this is a job, legit job, you know. And so you got to have structure and order. I get all that. And that's why you go through basic training and everything. So, but that's interesting note about I'll have to, next time I see a marching group of naval officers, I'll be like, uh, are they drunk or are they struggling? <laughs> yeah, we'll we're usually out just having a good time. And that's, you know, the Navy all of the stereotypes for the different branches or mili of military pretty much do ring true. I mean, the Navy, we just go around and have fun. And, and that's kind of, you know, it was a good transition for me to flunk out of college, then go into the military and have them show me, you know, you have responsibilities, you have expectations and you're going to hold yourself accountable and they're going to hold you accountable and you're going to get in trouble and you're going to get in big trouble if you muck up bad enough. But if, you know, if you're there at 7am and you've shaved recently and you don't just reek of alcohol, you're going to get left alone and you can go do your job and then you can go back out. We, you know, I was all East coast. So partied up and down from like Bristol, Connecticut to, uh, Puerto Rico and uh, what's what's the furthest southern part of the continent? Uh, Key West, 
Oh, down there. Oh, wow. Still yeah, part. Key West and uh, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, all of Florida. I was stationed in Florida two and a half years, stationed in Norfolk, Virginia two and a half years, and then uh, did a deployment to South America and did a, a deployment to the Persian Gulf. And, you know, that whole time, as long as we were doing our job, when we pulled into a port, if it wasn't a working port, they're like, go have fun, do your thing, be back. You know, if it's three days, you know, we need you back one of those days to work and the other two days are yours to play. And that's how it was. And then we, if it was a working port, then we'd have to be ready to go every day at 7 a.m. But usually they're cutting you loose by like noon or two to go you know, see the beach or see the castles if we were over in Europe or whatever. What was then, the, go ahead. I was going to say, what was the place where you, you showed up in Port or like, I never in a million years thought I'd be here? Man, a lot of them. Uh, Croatia, that's not even a place people think of, but we pulled in there and not that it was like a destination, like, ooh, ah, uh, but Croatia, Malta is a really cool little island out in the middle of uh, Europe and they all speak English and they party all night long and there's a lot of fun. Palma de Mallorca is is very similar with like all night clubs and stuff, Uh, sex parties at 4 and 5 a.m. And we had to, of course, they're like, everybody needs to be on the boat at 4 a.m. I was like, but but chief, there's a sex, it says sex. <laughs> yeah. You be on the boat at 4am. I said, man, you guys are no fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Spain, um, where else? Uh, like three or four ports in Italy. Uh, uh, of course. I mean, you, you, you think about going to Europe and seeing Italy and England and France and stuff. And we did hit uh, Villa France and what was Monte not Monte Carlo. Anyway, right by Villa France, Nice, Nice, France, right over there. Uh, places I never thought I'd be, but like they were at least in my brain. But uh, I've done South America and fishing down in like um, Panama, Costa Rica, uh, Brazil, all these crazy places that I just thought my little country bumpkin ass would never ever see. But again, not something I was dreaming about. And that's why I joined the Navy. Actually, if if you're thinking about joining the Navy for destination places, you probably want to be West coast. Cause then you get all of California and Australia, uh, all the better like destination spots. But when I got my orders, they, they were, they said, you know, choose between a frigate, which is, a small warship, a frigate in Yokosuka, Japan, or a frigate in Norfolk, Virginia. And I just wasn't ready to pull the trigger on, on living overseas. Cause that was a two and a half year, three year commitment. And I was like, ah, and it, it was really kind of a sh- shitty deal. Cause it, it was based off of your grades at the time. So you go through school and you get your grades and then they throw out the orders on the table and whoever has the highest grade gets to pick first. But because I had enlisted for six years, there was only two sets of orders for six-year enlistments. And I knew the other dude. And I, I was like, sorry, Chuck, you're going to Japan. And he was pumped. He wanted to go. He's like, yes, that's what I wanted. I was like, good. I don't feel so bad now. But I, I just wasn't ready to live overseas. I can understand that. I wish it like – Big commitment. I, I, 
college was a good idea, but I wish there was something, maybe not military, but some sort of social service or something, job core, and there's job core existed and stuff, but I didn't really know about it. But like I would have done two years prior to going to college, kind of like show me the way, mm-hmm. kind of give you, you know, you could uh, be a working stiff or you can, you know, but we're going to give you these skills. Like I work in IT, reasonable skills, but if you shut the power off, I'm kind of screwed in my skills. Like I <laughs> know other things. I know other stuff, but that's the bulk of my life. Revolve. Yeah, your job just grinds to a halt if there's no power. Yeah, it revolves around electricity. And then take away the internet. If you take away the internet and the power, whatever. It's a, There's not a lot of, like, I don't have a lot of extra skills in that. I added stuff personally, but my job doesn't really require a whole lot. And so it's always, I wish I would have had, like, carpentry skills that I didn't have to learn because I own a house. Like, mm-hmm. or, you know that kind of stuff. So I, I wish there was some sort of middle step between like going to trade school or going to college, military, whatever. But I wasn't going to military. My dad painted a very bad picture. He got drafted uh, to the army because he flunked out of college around Vietnam. And so he went off to the military and he came back and went to college and was like driven, like just totally. The other day he was like, I didn't know college kids partied so much. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, when I went to college, I just got out of the military. You know, I was married to your mom. And I was like, oh, yeah, you didn't realize, like, I partied in college. That's why it took me so long. I told him, that. like, that's why it took me so long. He's like, oh. And I was like, that's why kids are giving each other COVID these days, because they're partying all the time. Yeah. They can't stop. It's a good time. And so, uh, I don't know where I was going off on that one, but it was interesting that my dad talked me on the military and now he's like, the VA is really treating it like, well, like he's really connected with it and he's getting a lot of these great benefits. I remember the first one was hearing aids. Oh my gosh. He took care of his hearing and he wore it like it was a badge of honor. Like he's like, turns out when they blow stuff up around you, takes your ears away, you know, and they'll give you these things for free, you know, so I can hear now. And I was like, yeah. And he went through uh, PTSD training. I'm not training, uh, just recently. Therapy, counseling. Therapy just started maybe a couple of years ago. He's a different dude. Yeah, yeah. Got some coping mechanisms now and stuff. He is definitely says things that I never heard him say in most of my life, which is Mm -hmm. cool. And so it makes me like, regret how I felt at certain points in my life, not knowing what he was going through or what, what made him him that way. But he painted the military such a bad way with me. He was like, there's no way there's a, there's a draft. You're going to Canada. You're Mexican. You're not going to the military. He's like, it's not for you. Now he kind of, you're Mexican now. Yeah. Nowadays he's like, he, he doesn't paint him as bad to picture, but I'm, I'm not of military age anymore. So he don't worry. That that's gonna well, it was definitely it the works right out well for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it saved me because honestly, if I wasn't ready to to uh, adult when I went into college the first time, and then the yeah. second time around, so I got out of the Navy in 2003, and I enrolled at UW, and uh, I, I was still so I had a bunch of uh, days of vacation to burn before I actually was wasn't going to get a paycheck anymore and i found out well i don't 
get discharged until November and I had enrolled for fall semester because I got out of like left the ship in August and I was like man I haven't been hunting in like six years so I'm gonna drop out again or just you know drop all my classes I had registered and everything I was like I'm gonna drop everything and I'm just gonna hunt because I've got August September October November's worth of paychecks when am I ever going to have this again? So I just hunted that whole first semester and then I re-registered and I started in uh, spring of 04. And, you know, uh, I'll say this about the military. What it, what it did for me was obviously gave me six years of maturing, but showed me, you know, okay, you can do everything on your own. So not saying I, I like knuckled down and, and, you know, just hit the books and all I did was study and I came out with a 4.0. I figured out how to still have as much fun as I possibly could through all of college and still graduate. Like the first time I went to college, I was having as much fun as possible and didn't worry about the next step. Like if I'd even had two brain cells in my first time around and I should have put that together. Hey, if you're partying too hard, you don't get to keep doing this. Well, the Navy was like, if you like what you're doing, here's how you've got to manage it to keep doing it. So I came out, enrolled in uh, spring of 04, and it was tough. Like, uh, like I said, I was a terrible student to start with. And uh, then take six years of just doing your job and killing your brain cells <laughs> and, and come back to college. And I had to take math placement tests. And, uh, oh, yeah, you you need to take some high school level math before you can actually take college level math. And that was a kick in the teeth, but at the same time, like it is what it is. I, I didn't think I was smarter than that, but it, it sucks to pay for classes that you're not getting credit for. Right. So uh, took some, some summer classes and then I think got like all straight up as a freshman in fall of 04 and that's when I started working with you at Lovejoys, I think. And I was like, I'm going to have a job. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, I think I told you a bartender. And then I found out oh, there's a, a cruel realization there that you don't just walk in and start being a bartender. So I started cooking and bouncing with you at Lovejoys. And I think honestly, that freshman year was the most amount of fun of my four years of college, just because partly because the classes were all so easy, like all freshman level, like biology and psych and intro to theater with the uh, Bill Downs and stuff like that. William Missouri Downs, yep. but all just super fun, easy classes and very little responsibility. And then like I was 25, so not your standard freshman, but I was also a little, little out of fish out of water because everybody in all of my classes was like 18, 19 and I'm going to the bar and I'm not seeing any of the people from class or anything like that. But <laughs> I had some other friends around and stuff, but working at Lovejoy's was definitely like the perk. I didn't, didn't always love working Thursdays and Saturdays, but at least it was something to do and I was getting paid. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting how God, I felt backwards into that job into DJing at Lovejoy's. I mean, I DJ before and that kind of put me into it, but I was going to be a bouncer. I probably would have bounced with you. But Kara was like, 
you're a DJ, right? And I was like three or f- three and a half years removed from DJing in Laramie. And like, I'd gone through like a married life and stuff. Like I, t- things have changed since I had last DJ. And she's like, uh, you're going to be our new DJ. You don't need a bouncer. And I was like, oh, I thought you had one. He's like, well, he's, he's going on to law school. So he's not going to have time. Yeah, he wasn't very kind to the staff. So I was a good fit right away of, how it was going to be. It was interesting. And uh, that first year at Lovejoy's 2004, like I was, I didn't hang out with Lovejoy's people that much because um, because it was like, I think I had one night off a week or I was into other things. So I was like, that's a job. I'd go there and hang out. I never came in during the week and drank. It took leaving and working at the Buckhorn for like a couple months and then coming back to Love Joys to really embrace the staff and be like, okay, this is fun. I can come down on a Monday night and have a riot at Love Joys oh, yeah. and everything. And and so, but it was, you know, talking to people like we used to have lines out the door, people sneaking in the back. I got thrown out, <laughs> sneaking somebody in the back door like that first year by like uh, Carrie. And I was like, that wouldn't have flown like a few years later. I'd like, no, 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 this is gonna stay. But I didn't know I could flex some muscle then, but I was just like, holy cow, I got thrown out of Lovejoy's? I thought I worked there, that was crazy. But I mean, the, I understood, it was a giant fish tank and you could literally walk by and count. Yeah, and, was and, it and, worth going in or do you see your friends in there or whatever? It was, it was nuts, man. I, I knew it was a crowded bar, but I didn't know like it was, I wouldn't say the it bar, but one night I was standing out front talking to the cops while I was bouncing. I was like, Hey, what, uh, what bar's the roughest bar? And he's like, well, it's kind of a toss up between you guys and the Ranger. I was like, really? Cause I knew the Ranger was rough. Everybody shuts down, you know, the Ranger at 2am and there's always fights there, but I didn't know we were right there with them because I mean, we always had something going on, but I didn't think it was like all crazy. I know that first Jubilee days was I had never bounced or bar backed or anything. And Kara's like, well, you can't bartend, but we'll hire you for bar backing and, and uh, bouncing for Jubilee days. And I went from being like the second biggest bouncer to the smallest bouncer just through like the end of Jubilee days and the first couple of days of school, because we had so many fights and big dudes like the football team and, or guys that were a year or two removed from football coming in. And like all the little guys were like, Mm-mm, I quit. I don't need this. And just gone. And then I was the little guy. I get the, every once in a while I get the, Hey, can you, can you watch this door, the side door while you DJ <laughs> or can you help that? And I was like, I'm a DJ and I'm like a lot drunker than you guys. So no, you don't need my, I was like, then who's going to DJ if I'm out here busting up fights with you. So, well, and then we had the smoking ban or inside smoking and we had that side door right in front of you, which just created a, a nightmare of logistics of letting people in and counting them back in or counting them out and one in one out and stuff. But Love Joyce was already kind of on the downhill slide by by the time the smoking ban went into place. But that whole first year of Love Joyce was was pretty epic, man. That kind of set the tone for 
all four years of school for me to, to have that much fun and still, you know, go to class, have a job and, and make friends and stuff. That was, that was kind of how I went at the next couple of years. I think by my junior year, my classes got pretty tough and uh, so I quit cooking, but I kept bouncing, but we basically didn't need bouncers anymore. Like we didn't have the crowds. We didn't have any fights. And we went from, what was it? Thursdays and Saturdays was you. And then Friday nights was live music. And, and that was generally the night as a bouncer that was the easiest. But then that next year, did we have you as a bouncer 2005, 2006? I wasn't a bouncer ever. I was a DJ. No, I mean a DJ. Yeah. 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 Um, 2004, 2005, I was there, the beginning of 2005. And then they decided that they want, there was too much issues over that year, fighting and all that stuff, overcrowding. But there was like no DJ. They're like, we're done with it. And I was like, what? And took my show to uh, Buckhorn. <laughs> but I think I started with Parlor, which interesting, the manager there said I was the worst DJ in the world. It's like, yeah, sure. And then I took my stuff and went downstairs and went, do you want me to DJ? And they're like, yeah. And I was there for a couple months. Uh, but the whole time Cameron is like, rude, come back. We're having DJ rude, come back. It's terrible. Like everybody else is trying to DJ and they're failing. Rude, like he was like, what, what do you need? Like, come back. And I was like, yeah, I have a commitment here. And I brought the whole crowd to the Buckhorn. Sorry. That's why I love Joyce. Yeah. My bad. I never put two and two together, man. My bad, but also what am I supposed to do? Like they chose not to have a DJ. And so by the time, like I kind of buckhorn, Mike Hopkins and I came to a, uh, an agreement that I didn't want to work there anymore. He wanted to start paying me with a check and I wanted cash because I knew his checks would bounce. <laughs> and I'd worked there before. So like in my college years, I'd worked at the parlor, I'd worked at, like not the buckhorn straight up, but mostly the parlor. And so I just, I, I think I called Greg Cameron on the way out or maybe text and was like, how about now? And they're like, yes. So I, I think walked out of Buckhorn and started EJ and Lovejoy. The right same right down the alley. Yeah. Right down the alley. And I tried and I tried to get people to come back, but the space of it, the Buckhorn was just bigger. It could go between two floors. I mean, they kind of, well assimilated my, the crowd of Lovejoys into the whole mix and it was hard to get them back and I tried I, there would be nights that Lovejoys got all right but everybody would bail and go to the Buckhorn I'm like no that's dumb and so but I was like I killed myself and I always say I was the one that brought DJing to the Buckhorn like what it is now and they have DJs down they have a DJ booth it's sweet they have a nice setup I was oh like, really I did not have any of that, and I knew how to mix <laughs> a it card in. table in the corner. Yeah, basically. I knew how to mix in what the crowd was there. It was already there, light, with, like, what the college kids were about to hear. And so it was a good mix from, like, 9 to 7, 9 to 11. And by the time that was going on, everybody's drunk enough to really love, like, dance music and all that. But it was hard to – you got to know your crowd. I mean, Buckhorn is, was the weirdest crowd then. But it was good to go back to Lovejoy's, but it was never the same. No, that first year was just nuts with all of your boys and setting up my, my posses on Broadway and oh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, man, 
it, they were a train wreck. I hated all of yes. them, but just because like they were it, like we're no, we're going to put all the chairs in the middle of the dance floor right now. And we're going to have 18 rounds of Jaeger bombs right here. And I was like, can you guys just, for the love of God, put the chairs back or whatever. Like I got to drag trash cans through here. And that was another thing bad about Lovejoy's was it was a terrible flow for setup. We'd have to drag those trash cans from the door all the way through the dance floor, through the kitchen, out the back and dump them. And uh, it's so embarrassing. And I, I think I told you like the first few months I worked just stone cold sober. And then one night I just got, blackout and i was like oh wait it's so much better to be a bouncer when you're drunk and you don't care it's a lot less stressful so i went from being embarrassed dragging the trash cans out to getting molested and stuff like chicks just grinding on you or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. hold on yeah i can dance oh yeah i'm supposed to be working i'm in a garbage can right now too <laughs> i'm trash nice so what did you get your degree in at UW? Uh, it's a mouthful. Uh, kinesiology and health promotion with an emphasis in athletic training. So that's a long way around saying an athletic trainer, right? right. So uh, some schools, it's a standalone program, athletic training. Uh, through the University of Wyoming, it was under kinesiology, which is where it should be. But they they spent a lot of time getting – the accreditation to actually have a degree available for athletic training, but it fell under health promotion with an emphasis in athletic training. So I couldn't tell you what other colleges did to have just a straight up degree of like kinesiology, athletic training, but Hmm. uh, so yeah, athletic training, you're fully aware what an athletic trainer is, but it's the, the people say you're watching a football game and dude falls down on, on the field and, somebody runs out there with a, a fanny pack or a, a med kit around their shoulder, you know, they're holding the water bottles and the towels at, at football games, basketball games, whatever. That's your standard athletic trainer. And when I got out of the Navy, I came back to Laramie and I, I was undeclared. I was like, I'll figure it out. I know I want to go back to school, but I don't know what I want to do. And when I was in the Navy, I was a, a diesel mechanic and it was like, diesel mechanic was our claim to fame but i worked on anything from air compressors and ac reefer units and uh hydraulic systems um i mean just anything mechanical on the ship was ours to work on but i didn't want to to just like get out and keep doing that it was kind of going nowhere for me so i went undeclared and was walking through the union like I don't know during career week or whatever and I had taken an athletic training class in high school and I was like yeah that was fun you get to hang out with the athletes and you know travel around do whatever and so I declared that as my major and started going to classes and then I found out you know it's it's very involved it's a lot like a nursing program or any kind of thing where you've got to get so many clinical hours before you can graduate so I did all of my sophomore year and then like I said the junior year classes started getting harder and you find out that sure everybody wants to be an athletic trainer and you want to work for the Broncos or the Raiders or the Avalanche or you know like I'm going to work in pro Uh sports you find out that one 
it's it's probably harder to be a pro athletic trainer than it is a pro athlete. I don't know that the sure. numbers are just astronomical as far as how many people have master's degrees and you know still have to make a selection process for getting on at the pro pro level and then you find out they don't make jack like terrible i think somebody with a master's degree in athletic training not many people have masters in athletic training you usually get your four year in athletic training and then get your masters and you know some i've got buddies with uh education admin physical therapy okay. um pa stuff like that and you're capped out at like 60 maybe 80,000 would be top end for an athletic trainer like the head athletic trainer for UW wasn't six figures and you're working like 80 and 100 hour weeks uh, pretty much nine months of the year and you're not six figures and like well that's not that we all need six figure jobs or anything like that but if you're going to be that dedicated you know 80 and 100 hour weeks and you're 60 grand with no major benefits it's kind of lackluster so about my junior year I was thinking I'd pull the plug and just get a standard kinesiology degree and you know figure out uh, you know strength and conditioning sports psych what am I going to do but I'm ready to be done with all these clinical hours from athletic training I find out that you know I'm kind of past the point of no return that it's going to add another year of school to anything I do other than just athletic training. So I gutted it out and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wasn't going to get my master's. I was now 29 years old and tired of making bills and, you know, no, no real future in sight. I, I was still having fun in college, but I was ready to kind of shut it down. And so I graduated and, uh, found a job at a high school in Powell and you know you guess you think you're high and mighty and you're better than whatever the lowest job is that you qualify for but as an athletic trainer it's pretty easy to get a job at a high school or you know work through a a clinic that will outsource you to middle schools and high schools so I took this job through a, a orthopedic surgeon in Cody and he supplied me to Powell High School and that job was it, man. Like that was the most rewarding, most self-fulfilling job I think I've ever had. I did four years there and loved every minute. I mean, that saying, you know, find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's what it was. It was the best. Like I would work from say two o'clock, three o'clock to during football season, basketball season, sometimes like 10 o'clock Friday night lights, you know, stuff like that. But most days like three o'clock to seven, eight o'clock, and then you're done and you travel some weekends and stuff, but I enjoyed it. I loved working with the kids. They were um, some of the best people I've ever been around. I stay in touch with a a good number of them still. And uh, it was great. But then I started a family and it just didn't pay. Right. So, and it really stinks because I loved that job, but uh, it just wasn't going to be, I couldn't provide with a family with that job. So I finished up there and I came back to Douglas and got another job in the oil field and that really sucked. And then got on at a coal mine and this chemical job. So yeah, I did 
like, I don't know, 10 months or so and the oil field is a roustabout, which it was pretty brutal 10 months too. It was like, what was it? June through April or something. So right through the nastiest part of winter and it, it'd start getting dark and you're like, Oh, thank God we're going to shut it down now. And no, they kick on the light plants and you'd work for like another hour or two from five to six at night and just February wind blowing your hard hat off and hate everything about it. But <clears throat> then I got on with the coal mine and, uh, you know, everybody around Douglas, if you're a coal miner or railroad or oil field, you're usually making pretty good money and life's not too bad. And the, the major perk about coal mining is you're off six months of the year, like not obviously not straight, but it work shift work. So you get one week off every month, like seven days in a row off. And then the way your days off work is you end up with a total of, you know, six months of working and six months off. So you make pretty darn good money. But again, with my family and stuff, I wasn't seeing my little girls if I was working nights, unless I was getting up earlier than I should be and going to see him at daycare. And when your kids are in daycare, you know, they might be happy to see you, but they're three, four years old. They want to play with their friends. They want to do other things. So here I am a, a zombie. You getting up after three or four hours of, of sleep and going and trying to spend some quality time with my kid at daycare. And then going and working another 12 hour shift, come back home, sleep for three or four hours and try and go. It is just terrible. And uh, I got this other job back in the oil field as a chemical salesman, which that's, that's something that it's so hard to explain. Like what, before I worked in the oil field, I thought you see the, the pump jacks going up and down and they pump oil out of the ground and then, you know, goes to the refinery and that's basically it. But uh, there's like, a dozen different ways for oil to get to the surface and then there's a couple of different byproducts that you don't want to deal with so if you can leave the the salt water down hole or keep paraffin from plugging up your wells or anything that's all things that uh chemical can help you with but i was really a fish out of water with that it was a super good job and all they required was you to, to have a, a degree in something they preferred of course like petroleum engineering or some sort of uh, organic chemistry or something along those lines. And here I am with an athletic training degree in, in for chemical sales and cross tape uh, job on that. Well, right? <laughs> that you joint. Looks like your MCL is toast, but we're going to have to get you splinted up and off the yep. field. But uh, yeah, it was, I was a fish out of water and it took me so long to understand what was expected of me at that job. And by then I just had my, teeth kicked in so many times that I hated it and I was miserable and I was looking for any way out and, but it paid really well and I got a company truck and I kept trying to get good at the job and it was just such an uphill battle I was stressed and my my home life and quality of life for my family and stuff stunk and so just recently I mean when oil was tanking I was looking for a different job and and I found a job that I never knew even existed, but uh, I work for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation now. So I've always been a volunteer with the Elk Foundation and, you know, you raise money for elk and elk country and hunting is conservation. And, you know, those have all been words in my vocabulary for a number of years, but I didn't know jobs like this existed. So uh, I was talking with the RD that oversaw my chapter and there's like two RDs in the state. So 
uh, I'm talking to him and he likes me and he was a wrestling coach, uh, college wrestling coach. So we had things to relate on as far as sports and whatnot. And I was like, man, how do you get your gig? You know, it looks like you're a pretty happy guy and you just kind of travel around and talk hunting and fishing and stuff. And he's like, well, good luck. But Jill is probably retiring in the next year or two. And Jill is his coworker across the state. And I met her. It'll be a year ago, excuse me, a year ago next month. And I met her at a banquet in Casper and she was a nice gal and uh, talked to her a little bit. And then, uh, Facebook friends and within like six months she said she was retiring and so I threw my name in, in the hat and uh, thankfully the the RD that I was buds with liked me and stuck his neck out for me and I got the job and so now it's 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 a little bit stressful but it's nothing like chemical sales in the oil field or anything uh, but it's rewarding as much as that athletic training job was because now I'm, I'm making a difference and I'm, you know, helping people help habitat and, and I love hunting and fishing. I love Wyoming and I love elk. So here's a chance to do a number of the things and that, you know, as much as I hated that job in the oil field, they prepared me to be good at this job. Like I'm dealing with spreadsheets and Excel and, you know, margins and trying to, to figure out because it, it's a business and it stinks. You know, everybody wants to come to a banquet and get a steal on, on a pair of binoculars or, you know, win a, a gun or something. But at the end of the day, you're raising money for a charity. Yeah. And so people have to spend some money. So that's my job is to get people to spend some money and, and raise money for, for conservation. And that's the stressful part of it because as a volunteer, as an attendee, I always wanted to, you know, buy 20 bucks worth of raffle tickets and win five guns, but that's just not how it works, you know? So, uh, I'm new and I'm semi-stressed out at some of this stuff, but it's so rewarding that, uh, I enjoy it. And, you know, my, my home life, my, my family is happier that I'm happy now and I'm home more. And I've actually, we took my youngest daughter out of uh, daycare because I work from home now so I get I get a kick it with my four-year-old which is pretty awesome all right we covered a lot of ground right there um sorry well, I went on a rant you have kids so you <laughs> yeah, have skip that chapter didn't I? yeah another well, she, she's a, an athletic trainer with me. We were both in, in Laramie. She was a couple of grades below me. And, you know, she's the most amazing, beautiful girl uh, I'd ever seen at the time. But she had a, a boyfriend at like four years. She was a couple of grades below me. So I was a senior and she was a sophomore. And that's when you just get to spending time with other athletic trainers as a sophomore. So, you know, hey, who, who's that chick? You know, she's pretty cute. And Oh, she's Kathleen, but, uh, you know, she, her, she's still got her high school sweetheart with her and stuff. So, you know, just the kind of guy I am, I don't, don't sweat it. I just moved on. But then I think after I graduated, they broke up and, and I was like, well now, now or never bud, shoot your shot. So yeah, uh, started talking to her and stuff. And I actually spent a lot of time driving from Powell down to Laramie just to spend time with her and stuff. And here we are got a seven-year-old and a, a four-year-old and I, I've got a uh, an eight-year-old from a previous relationship and so 
uh, yeah, I've, so from, you know, middle school, high school, all the way through the Navy, college, no nothing, no significant others, no marriages or anything like that, and then just get thrown to the wolves, and I've got <laughs> an ex and a, and a eight-year-old, and, and then a wife, and a seven, and a four-year-old, and my, my world just was completely flipped upside down. I'd spent 29 years, 30 years as a bachelor, and then really started after college started looking for a girlfriend or you know whatever the next step was I was ready to to shut it down and I struggled for a few years and was you know thinking nobody loves me stuff but uh then all of a sudden yeah here I am three kids a, a wife I'm living back in Douglas and so how'd you get to Douglas you guys met you you she was down here in Laramie Yep. She was how then next thing you know, you go to Douglas. Well, that's where I'm from. So after, after Powell and I'd had my daughter from the previous relationship, her mom was in Gillette and uh, I needed to find a better job. So I moved back here to get an oil field job to start paying for kid and stuff like that. So I came back here and then I started talking the, the, the other relationship was spoiled before it started. Like we, we dated for a little while and then it just wasn't going to work out. And then we found out she was pregnant. So yeah. that, that was a bumpy road in and of itself. But uh, I love my daughter and wouldn't change any of that for nothing. And then I started talking to Kathleen again and uh, she, I think had gotten in another serious relationship. So I, backed off again there and then the next time around she came back and I just I guess I I don't know if I wasn't going to take no for an answer or if she was uh tired of me pestering her or what it was but we got together and and we had Cassidy and then we now we've got Josie and uh married five years and you know we're doing it all out of order but we're happy and uh doing good man I Douglas doesn't feel like it it's going to be forever home. I think she definitely liked to, we definitely could see ourselves back in Laramie just because it is such a, a funner, happier town with more things going on and less dependent on oil and gas and coal and stuff like that. But uh, Doug, this is good right now. It's, yeah. it's not great, but it's good. Uh, I, I, I've never lived anywhere smaller than Laramie. So I could not imagine living in a place like Douglas. Like it, the, the sounds of like people moving to small places just sounds like tortures to me. I, I could live out in the country, but I gotta be close to Laramie sized place. Not, not be like a four, you know, just one stoplight type town. I kind of, it's tough, man. It's, it's not, it's not, awesome but you know my folks are here my brother and uh sister-in-law are here and casper's just right up the road so whenever you know we need a walmart run we go to casper but uh it's it's not terrific it's just it is what it is we're here we're making do uh the school system is pretty good i know i knocked it earlier but school system is pretty good my wife works works in the school district and uh, they absolutely love her and she loves her job. And I think if she didn't love her job so much, we wouldn't be here. Um, 
and now that I do work for the Oak Foundation, it's kind of opened some things up as far as where we can live. And, uh, you know, if, if you hear of a good house in Laramie or whatever, maybe we can go back down there and start kicking it like the old days, man. We had a lot of fun together. Yeah, I, I realized by, not by choice, the last year I DJed at Lovejoy's was 2010. I can't believe it's like 10 years ago. That it would have been the probably the best health decision for me not to be at within walking distance from a bar, which I was my other apartment and my house. Now I know there's Uber and all that stuff, but it didn't exist when I first moved here. I was really far away from any sort. I lived by the golf course. I'm off the beaten path. And so uh, I started losing weight. I started becoming more healthier. It was a better lifestyle for me. And I thought it was going to be the most painful thing to leave the bars and quit drinking as much. And it wasn't. And uh, I mean, I, I, nowadays I said, just say, I suck at drinking. I really, everybody went into COVID and got all wasted. I went in COVID and lost 15 pounds. I was like, I wasn't going to drink it away. I dealt on my own coping mechanisms and stuff, but I was like, I don't know if drinking and depleting my like immune system is a good thing. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. So maybe I'll stay away from just getting hammered and all those people that went out and did that good for them. Um, but I turned it the other way. I, I like got rest. I stayed active. I never really stopped. I kind of stopped working, but I've worked from home. But yeah, I w my job keeps me very active. And so um, I took it as a different challenge. So I challenge everybody else. Because if you got a strong immune system, it's not going to kick your ass as hard as it could. If you have a very, you know, if you keep yourself together and keep your immune system strong, COVID shouldn't just, unless beat you down, unless you have a truly compromised immune system, like someone with cancer or elderly. I have diabetes. But yeah, my blood sugars are good. Um, people survive it, but it might knock me to the hospital. I had a whole scare with uh, COVID. I tested positive at the university. And then uh, that was September 11th, which was crazy. I took the test that day. And so I'll never forget the day I took that test because of that day. Uh -huh. And got my news two days later, the 13th. You know, via phone call, I can't remember email. I'm watching my football team, the Niners lose. I'm like, just, and I see this thing, I'm positive for COVID. I'm like, do I have a temperature? Am I hot? Like, I really thought, like, could it just set on right now? And so I immediately took my temperature, good. So I call my doctor's office. Um, they are like, I call them the next day. I call them on a Monday and they're like, I think she said, would you be opposed to taking a real test? And I was like, what? like the nasal swab because I took a spit test for the university. Yeah, you were telling me about like you yeah. had to do it just for training or whatever, right? Yeah, we've right? done it before. Well, I've done two now. And so, the yeah, the first one was like difficult, but like I was ready for this one. And so I took the nasal swab, which, which was up both nostrils. It was a very just uncomfortable situation. Um, and that test came back negative. So I had a positive one day and so it came back negative, but the state counts it as a positive. So the state health department calls me and just is like, I get the lockdown order. My girlfriend gets locked down. 
and everything, no symptoms whatsoever, nothing. And I'm like, look, I have a negative. I test a negative. I can send you the results right now from a nasal swab. And they were not having it. And so I, I stayed at home and did all that stuff. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm asymptomatic. You know, it's the easiest sickness I've ever had in my life. So I went and got a uh, antibodies test. Uh, was it last this last Friday? No, yeah, this last Thursday, this last week, and it was I don't have any antibodies, so there's a good chance that that first test was a false positive. And I talked to other people that came up with positives that same day, that never had any symptoms. They're probably mm-hmm. false positive. It's I don't mind the testing of it, but it's the speed of them. Um, that the push for them to be so fast is getting in the way of the accuracy. Well, right? that's what I was going to ask you. What is the accuracy of the, the spit test? I think they're not, I think they're 80, like maybe 80%. Which is good, but not great. I mean, not if they're going to administer no. that to, isn't that what they're asking for all university yeah. attendees? Yeah, we are. So 10,000, say, I don't know if you guys will get 10,000, but if you had 10,000, people enrolled 2000 of them are going to come up false positives and they won't even admit that side of it i'm like, sorry if i brought that up but no but uh, i mean yeah that's scary you know kind of like well i understand why but there's got to be like if i test positive and am asymptomatic they should trigger a nasal swab right away you should go out yeah. that done and if that comes back negative you probably are not positive. There's probably, they need to check that data or how that, those batch of tests are being looked at, studied, if they got cross-contaminated, whatever the situation may be. Cause I just want the data to be right. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I have a negative and a positive. Do they need my antibody results too? Just to show, you know, I'm not trying to figure out like how to get it again. If I had it, I know I didn't have it, but um, that was a, one of the first cases came up today of a guy got it a second time in Nevada. Mm. And so I actually had symptoms. I was like, well, how do you know if you get it a second time? You have to have symptoms both times if you get it or so or just test positive twice, which you could have a false positive. It's a interesting data collection, how they do this. And so then we had they send out emails and you randomly test it, and the students are as well. And my I have four texts that work for me did not open their email and did not go get their test done. Like that they were supposed to have done. Like, I don't know if they were all did it that way. One guy was just late cause he was working with me. And I was like, why don't you say something? Just tell me you gotta go take that COVID test. I would have shut, kicked you out the door. Another one was like, I didn't open my email. And I heard that constantly and I was like, oh man. So they couldn't, they had to sit at home and not work and not be on campus. They had to take all their classes at home until they got another negative test and then they could come back. Like it shut down a ton of students mm. last week. It killed me at work. Like it, and it's like the first week of classes of where a lot of face-to-face instruction is going uh-huh. on right now. And so rooms are getting used and I have like, I was whittled down to like two student techs myself. I mean, it sucked for a little bit, but now we're getting full staffed, but it's uh, unlike, I can't tell college kids enough if they're listening or anything that it all hinges on them uh-huh. if we get through this. 
if we can, like we go the distance, like football can happen, like college football, it all hinges on the students. Like, and people are like, well, if they get sick, you know, they'll be fine. And I was like, but if they get sick, people that help them will not be fine. And we may not be able to go to work and they can't have school. So it really hinges on college kids right now. And it, it, Laramie's are, we might have more case numbers in Laramie than Cheyenne just because of the college kids right now. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I mean, I know Cheyenne's twice the size, but uh, the interaction and, and oh. the, the lifestyle and stuff. like It went from, I remember March, April, not March, April, May, June, I think, seven, seven total cases of COVID in, in Albany County. And now over a hundred probable cases right now, like 600 total. No deaths though. We're the only county that has Oh really? Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. It's because you're so healthy. Yeah. I was All like, the young population. The no oxygen. Maybe that, that's the thing. Maybe that the no oxygen kills out the COVID. And so, well, with kids, like how did you guys handle them being home? So, of course, we did the, the online or whatever they call, and that was rough, man. That was probably rougher on me than on my wife or on my kids because, like, one would have a Zoom at 10.30. The other one would have a Zoom at 11, and uh, then the little one is still needing entertained. And, and uh, to juggle the different Zoom meetings and the passwords yeah. and the online, I was going nuts. And my wife was going to work, and – I was still in the oil field at the time, but if I wasn't busy, I was at home. I was an hourly uh, employee. So if I wasn't working, I was just at home. And so I was kind of, I would not say in charge, but I was responsible for <laughs> the different zoom meetings and, you know, things. And it was a nightmare for me, man. I could not keep up. Like one kid had a zoom meeting every day at 1030. The other one was like one day a week at 11 and basically they never overlapped, but every once in a while that one class or Zoom meeting wouldn't be over in time. So I'm trying to find a charging cord for my like Gen 2 iPad because we only had one computer and I'm trying to get this old ass iPad fired up so she can Zoom on the other uh, platform we had. And then like they would have some one-on-one -on -one classes and then assignments to turn in and like some of it was really BS and other parts of it. Like, so my kids are real young. Second, I think last year they were uh, first and second graders. And this year they're second and third graders. And uh, it's pretty easy stuff, right? I mean, we're dealing with little kids. So we're like, man, this is, this is a waste of time. What are we teaching these kids these days? But uh, other things I was like, yeah, no, I, I see the value in this. It was, it was pretty brutal, man. Not going to lie. That was when, when they gave us the option this year of, you know, online learning or going back to school, I was like, we're going to risk it, man. Cause otherwise I'm going to lose my mind trying to get them, you know, through their online learning and stuff like that. It was just, it was like Barney on acid. Like it was the, the watching the videos that they had to do and the the little workshops like the I know the teachers hearts are in the right places but they're like now you're gonna go outside on a scavenger hunt I was like not another scavenger hunt no I can't. 
<laughs> finding leaves and sticks and uh then at the end of the day your whole house was just trashed from like all the crap they would find and they the teachers would be like yeah have a science experiment or let's do this i was like are you gonna come over and clean this stuff <laughs> up man this is ridiculous but yeah i i'm scared though like i mean because we're having cases all over the school district and stuff like positives and quarantine and uh you know it's just a matter of time but what what is the reality of this like it's not going away you know how long are we gonna do all this i just don't know how we exit out of this back into any kind of normalcy yeah uh, we're learning a lot of um jobs can be done remotely um i've been working in online education since last 17 years but it's not for everybody and it's a choice not you know a choice for a seven-year-old yeah you know so i i'm like it's old hat to me and i'm teaching a lot of people how to use it and how to be comfortable with it and everything like that and how to use it in classrooms and stuff but beyond that keeping people engaged and everything like that no i'm i'm, I'm done with it i just make <laughs> sure the technology works that's all and you as a teachers I and mean, it sucks i parents you know this hopefully this is a you work closely with a lot of teachers you know being in the education system but this is a wake-up call to a lot of parents that you those teachers do a lot oh yeah a lot for kids and we need to open up our pocketbooks or open up our thank you but i don't know but to show our education system especially when our kids go back to school like then throw some money into it yeah seriously money fixes all like and if, if you made the education system you know functional and a safer system you know you got it needs money and maybe we'll get it maybe we'll understand it and i know it's not necessarily money that you know you parents are coughing up no government money yeah no I funding for sure and yeah uh the the teachers the ringer you know i bitched about me being a parent having to deal with the different zoom meetings and the passwords and logging in and stuff like that but the teachers had all of that to do for multiple kids several times a day and the ringer they went for, through to all of a sudden have to be teaching online and changing their whole curriculum and stuff it just what what a nightmare and all, and, and also in wyoming where we're rural not everyone has internet not everyone can just zoom yeah you know so you may have to go to a library you may have to go to somebody's house may have to travel i don't know it's it, it's also just not financially people don't have internet and i'm everybody that teaches in vegas and he's like this is difficult because there are the haves and have nots uh, and and we can't just take care of the people that have the internet i was like that's not fair to everyone else that wants to be a student too uh-huh. but they you know so it's a it's definitely an issue. it's it's a struggle for teachers and yeah it's a struggle for everyone and the normalcy i you know it's hard to think about what the future is going to be like i, I, I want to think of i'm like we're going to get this vaccine whipped not vaccine we're going to get a vaccine but we're going to get this you know covid beat and there's going to be something else it's just going to piss yeah. me off. and so but i was like well maybe we'll be better prepared i don't know 
I was like, my mask has served dual purposes for uh, protecting me from the fire smoke and from COVID the last two months. I don't know how bad if you guys have been any fires up there in Douglas, but Laramie was just. Oh yeah. No, I was down in Laramie. What was it a week or two ago? And the smoke was real bad. And then yeah. uh, going through Cheyenne, that Mullen fire, you could see the smoke just thick as thieves, you know, right on the ground. It was, your air quality was terrible down there in Laramie. I saw Chansey and them had to postpone their beer bash. Did you guys get some new uh, COVID restrictions or are you just having a major uptick and they, so it was supposed to be this weekend. Oh, really? Were you guys having a home football game this weekend, were you? No, not till the 24th. Oh, well, they were having their white trash bash, I thought, this weekend. And I oh. just saw on Facebook that they moved it to November 14th, which kind of spooked me because I'm going to be in Laramie for the Elk Foundation. We're having our Elk Foundation banquet in Laramie on the 7th. And I saw Chansey and them had moved their concert i was like oh god tell me they didn't just put restrictions because like i said everything yeah. off of my business is is people driven so if we can't have 250 people in a room i basically can't do a banquet and so i was like um if chancy's uh, canceling their concert i might be hosed if yeah maybe there was a time where there was going to football so start now but I yeah i bet you it was probably they booked this, you know, they always do the white trash bash usually around homecoming or whatever. And so they were like, screw it. We're still going to play at the cowboy and have our white trash bash. But it, they said tonight on their Facebook page that they were postponing until the 14th. Now there's another chapter we didn't talk about at all is all of our <laughs> common friends and stuff through, through love joys. Yeah. Uh, well, I had Wyatt. He was the last official guest before you um, on the show. Yeah, I forgot because I was like, I'm supposed to go to a wedding this weekend. So I was like, I couldn't make the bash. I'm very hard pressed to get me in a bar. It, it's just. I don't blame you. Yeah. Like, what's uh, it worth? I yeah. mean, is, is it really that needed? Sometimes it might be, you know, you might need to go out and have a drink, but. I've lived the life in a bar. A lot and I you know I love those guys and I've seen them play a lot and hope to see them again but I probably wouldn't make if it would have been this weekend maybe in November who knows I'm always like up to what will change in November yeah so who knows what it could be um, yeah it's interesting to what I mean as I call it is a it's a, with why a very um, small neighborhood but a huge takes up a lot of space. Yeah. And we all seem to know each other along, you know, down somehow, some way. And Laramie always, like, it, the amount of people are like, oh, you live in Laramie? Oh, you work at the university? Do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, it's a huge university and town. Mm -hmm. No, probably not, but maybe. And so, yeah, it's uh, interesting. And I always ask this question, usually last, but we kind of got into a little bit is, uh, How'd you meet me? Well, I mean, yeah, Lovejoys, man. I, I don't recall you at all before Lovejoys. And I was just a cook and, and a bouncer. And you were the DJ guy. And I was always happy to see the DJ, DJ guy because that means, you know, I'm about done flipping burgers and, and burning fries. So when you would start carrying your, your shitty-ass DJ gear through the back room, 
up front. I was like, thank God, it must be 8.30, 9 o'clock. Oh, thank God. This, I cannot wait for that rum and Coke. And uh, then, like, on busy nights, there was no time for us to interact or, or hang out or anything like that. But, you know, some of them slower nights and stuff, I'd come and sit by you and uh, make my request. And we would usually go bum a cigarette or I would bum a cigarette from you and we would smoke cigarettes or uh, whatever and just kind of got to know you and then I think summertime is just when it really set off after you did hang out we had a really good summer crew one year of I don't know just a handful of people but we would go over to uh, Steve's bar what was that Bud's you know when Steve was uh, bartending over there and that was just a nice hangout uh, listening to journey and stuff like that. And then we came back and the the crowd just wasn't there. So I would hang out with you and either go home or go to the buck or ranger or something. And I never would bump into you anywhere else other than when we were at Lovejoy's. But uh, I think, you know, you're a hair older than me and I was a hair older than everybody else. So we weren't always just tearing them all down. I tried. I tried to read Reborn. It was like I graduated '98 from UW. Got married, went to New York, or lived in New York. Got married, got divorced, or getting divorced, moved back here. And I was, I was like, I just tell people I'm reborn a college kid without having to go to class. I can, I go to all the cool parties. I, I'm the DJ. Um, I have a full time job, so I can flip the bill like I couldn't in college. And like, I'm reborn in my thirties. Like, it was awesome. It was awesome. I never can imagine that. I probably wouldn't have liked Laramie so much or stayed if I didn't have such a good time yeah. during the DJ years. Uh, I mean, now it just seems so. I hate to say it, mature that I changed. Like, I don't miss hanging out in a bar. I actually go to bed fairly, fairly early compared to what I used to. Um, but because it's one of those things, and that's why I don't I don't miss it. Because I was like, I lived that life every day of the week, college and post college. So whatever happens at a bar these days, I've seen it. I've definitely seen it happen twice, and probably backwards. And so I don't like you got to do a lot in Laramie for me to be like, okay, I'll go. But and then also I have a reputation of being a good employee in this town. And I'd rather get my craziness on another town. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier that way. And so, and uh, yeah, done it all in a bar. So I don't miss it as much, but if you have a chance, people, listeners, go see Chansey and the young brothers. Brooke sings now. It's crazy. It's a good time. They're going to do a music video for it. He was telling me for that song. Meet me in Montana. Meet me in Montana. It's a good one. Sweet. Yeah, those are those are good people, man. I they've played State Fair a few times, and I make sure I go down and see them. And uh, Chancy and Travis are my boys, and you know I've been a fan since Joe was in the band way back in the day. And then, like I said, just all of our other friends. I, I saw Spanish was uh, stuck in Douglas for like a, a summer or two, and oh, yeah. wow. I was like, that that's Spanish. Spanish, what's up, man? Like, hey, you're the bouncer guys yes you remember me 
Wow. But uh, uh, see freshman, I don't know if you remember Josh Anderson yep. every once in a while. He's in Casper. His sister actually teaches here. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Bunch in a long time, but yeah, all the dudes. And, yeah, that's probably why I haven't seen him then. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, just like I said, it's a big neighborhood, but I'll bump into somebody. I saw one of the gals we worked with at Lovejoy's as a teacher in – like Pinedale or something. We both were looking at each other like, where, where do I know you from? She's like, did you? I was like, did you, were you a waitress? Love choice? Yes, yes. You remember me from there? I was like, I was a bouncer. I was a, a cook. She's like, oh, you worked there too? I was like, yeah, we were actually co-workers. I'm not just a creepy dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I see people around, man. And, and then Laramie, just such a good town. I mean, I miss it there. I want to get back and, you know, every once in a while to, to go tear it down, have a drink or two or whatever, but just, just the town itself. It, it's, it's alive. You can feel it in Douglas. Not so much alive. It's, it's kind of a, an old dog on a porch or something. It just, it ain't moving. It might have a heartbeat, but it ain't doing anything. But Laramie's awesome, man. I de- I love the energy of this town. That's why I, that's the main reason why I couldn't leave. Um, it's got constant new ideas changing. Um, it's got a young pulse. Uh, you go out, you go out in like Cheyenne or Douglas, and it's the same ten people at the same bar, you know, drinking because life sucks. Go out in Laramie, it's ten random people every different place, and drinking because mm-hmm. life is fun, and college is fun, and everything. I enjoy that, even though I don't like I said go out and do that very often. I enjoy that the vibe, the feeling, and yes, the energy of Laramie is constantly changing. Um, Even though it felt so weird that when spring break hit and COVID hit and they sent all the college kids out, it was like a town of like 20,000 people for a long, like way early. Like I'm used to the summers being that way. Yeah. And it's still kind of very low numbers. Like I get good parking these days at this town campus which is amazing so i'm like so you can tell it's just it's not it's not completely back but we'll figure it out we got it we're the smart people at the university of Wyoming. we got to figure this out we're the educators. somebody's got to yeah. gotta figure this out you're a smart kid we're smart people what if somebody comes up yeah that'd be awesome cure from the university of Wyoming cures all possibility of like any sort of virus like this ever coming around the world needs more cowboys more cowboys well on that note i want to thank you for being on my show giving me your time it's great interview a lot of fun catching up with you i did too man thank you this was a real treat i enjoyed it and I, I miss your friendship man we need to hang out more often i know i've come down to a few football games over the years and it's always kind of hit or miss i know where you're going to be but it's tough getting my whole crew headed in one direction to meet up or whatnot but we need to make it happen man i don't know about you folks but my eyes will firmly be on the navy marchers in parade from here on out just to see if they're drunk or out of step i just want to see this i'm not going to rat them out i just want to i just want to watch now it's really hard to call JR, JR, when I've generally called him Droopy for as long as I've known him.
you will have to ask him how he got his nickname because I don't know offhand. Plus, I didn't know he was a junior. Yeah, he's a junior. We talked about this off camera, off mic before the interview started and what the JR stood for. And it's the same name as his dad because that's how juniors work. So it's probably good that he has a different name to go by around his family, at least. It was a fun interview. I'm ready for the next one. I'm going to enjoy my vacation. It's on to the next podcast.